Welcome to an emergency sports person edition of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. We are here because earlier this morning, Serena Williams was announced as being the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year for 2015. No longer sportsman, renamed person uh, to be more inclusive to Serena, but not to the horse who lost. Ha, horse. Courtney, I guess, what were your reactions when you heard Serena was uh, winning this award and what it means for her and women's sports and tennis and any and all of that. I mean, obviously, I was incredibly excited and super happy just for for her, for the sport, but also admittedly surprised, you know, not because she didn't deserve it, not because of the merits of her case at all. She absolutely did deserve it. But you you just kind of never know uh, with kind of tennis and, and where when and where it cuts through kind of the the white noise of sport right and this year obviously i mean she did incredible just had an incredible season and completed the serena slam but there was kind of that thought well did that loss to vinci which you know is what many consider and i probably do consider it to be the greatest upset in tennis history yeah Uh, does the person who you know suffers from the greatest upset of not just the year but possibly of the sport also get to be sports person of the year. You know, I mean, I think that that was maybe a little bit of the doubt and some of the discussion that was going on, especially in light of some of the years, especially, you know, from Steph Curry and Jordan Spieth. There's, there was a, you know, a legit argument there. Obviously, Novak Djokovic. Um, I'm not talking about the, the dumb horse. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, so the fact that she did, was able to, to, to come out on top and, and to get that distinction, I think it, it, it's more than deserved the SL Price's feature on her in the magazine was was just absolutely spot on in terms of capturing just the complicated nature and complicated champion that she is while also really celebrating the strides that she made this year not just on the court but really particularly off of it um just you and i have remarked on it numerous times about how uh mature she has become in a lot of ways not completely as oracine says a 10 percent improvement (laughs) uh she says in the article but yeah it's it's noticeable and palpable and uh so, so I, I mean, I just think it's great for her, and and I'm glad that that you know SI was able to to make it happen. No, for sure, and I think that talking about, I think the award for sportsman of the year, quote unquote, I think was more taken from the concept of you know sportsmanship and everything. And I think Serena, in terms of being a, a complete ambassador for sport and for herself and for tennis and everything like that, um, and for all the issues she's championed this year in terms of the Black Lives Matter stuff and equal justice initiative and all that stuff. I think she's really rounded out into becoming a more complete person. Not that she was deficient before in any really meaningful way, but right now there's just a lot more there on all fronts. And it feels a lot like, I guess, a a Lifetime Achievement Award. Obviously, Serena is closer to the end of her career than the beginning, sadly, uh, at her age and with how many miles she's put on. But this is definitely something that I think came at the right time for her. I definitely thought that the Vinci loss might have proved disqualifying, but I'm glad it didn't because in terms of taking the whole picture, I don't think anybody could have as good of a cover story written about why they deserve it as Serena, which maybe is the best way to to measure that. And I think Scott Price definitely, as you said, knocked it out of the park with that. No, for sure. And and I do, I mean, I blanch a 
a little bit at the idea that it's a Lifetime Achievement Award because I, I, I actually don't think that that's necessarily the case. I, I do think that at least my reading of just her season and also just based off of the, the stuff that SI has already put out, whether it's Scott Price's piece, um, managing editor Chris Stone also wrote a piece as to why she, she got the award. But I, I think that it's a Lifetime Achievement Award insofar as you take into consideration her lifetime uh, and and what the strides that she made this year and and puts puts it all into context. But but I, I it never really struck me as an award that was like oh you've been awesome for so long and now you just did a good thing and so now we're going to give it to you right um, like it's not that, like Kobe's going to win this in twenty sixteen for example. exactly yeah like it it really did feel in or like you know like last year or was it last year or two years ago where Pat Summit and Mike Shashevsky won um, to mm-hmm. college basketball coaches and. That felt lifetime achievement awardy a little bit more than what they had achieved singularly that season. So yeah, this this did feel like it was about this season, but obviously you have to take into con- but what she did this season is elevated once you take into con- consideration the the context of her career. So to talk about the Sports Illustrated Award, there's no one better than the executive editor of Sports Illustrated and the weekly voice of tennis there, both in online print form and podcasting. John Wertheim, thanks for being with us, John. Hey guys, pleasure. So I guess, what can you say about how how Serena got to be the sports person this year? What 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 was it from your inside view that pushed her over the edge? I think it's just sort of a totality. I mean, I um, I I felt strongly about this. I I tried to divorce the fact that you know this is the sport I, I cover most closely from objectively her case and. Three majors, 53 and three. I mean, I think her season was, you know, a, a large part of this. But I, I also think this has been a career-long theme. But I also think Serena deals with issues and pressures and burdens and complications that no other athlete, never mind tennis player, has to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of those were, were crystallized in 2015. And I think she she dealt with them with with grace. And you could make strong cases for any number of athletes, probably starting first and foremost with Novak Djokovic, ironically enough. But to me, I, I just felt strongly that this was really her year. When you're, when you're advocating for her, when you're, when you're talking about Serena to people, obviously now you have a more general sports role, not just tennis, I guess, where you mostly started out at SI. But is Serena easy, easy to translate what she does on court to comparing her? Because no, nothing is apple to, apples to apples in these discussions with these nominees. So comparing Serena to the Royals or to or to Steph Curry, I mean, how, how does that how does that work? And I guess when no, they, it reminds yeah. me. Uh, no, it's a good it's a good question. And and I, I also I mean I just I want to you know I want to make clear this this was not solely my I mean I sort of had a seat at the table, but this was not this was right. not solely my decision. Um, this was reached by consensus. And yeah, you raise a really good point, Ben. In a lot of ways, this is reminds me of these discussions about uh, who is better, Federer or Laver. Well. <laughs> They had to use different rackets, and they played best of five matches at tour events. And I mean, at some level, it's apples to apples. But how realistically, how do you compare Serena Williams to a horse? How do you compare <laughs> tennis to the NBA, team sports, individual sports? Uh, but I, I just, again, some of this was I, I would put three slams in a season up against any feat, and I, I also think that from Indian Wells to body issues to you know, race and gender and class. I mean, there's there's so much that Serena deals with and, and deals with well that 
I, I sort of divided this into, look, unimpeachable credentials from a participation standpoint, from an athlete standpoint. But what really set this apart was things like Indian wealth. It's, I mean, it's hard to make both cases, right? I mean, it's hard for I, – I, I'm not big into horse racing, so Either way, people made the triple crown. <laughs> yeah, right. I was gonna say we're we're all on the same team, but you know, you can't geek out too much. Uh, you know, you don't understand the way she's owned Sharapova and Azarenka. Like I, you have to sort of traffic in generalities at, at some degree. That pe- people who aren't tennis fans aren't gonna understand that Petra Kvitova's left-handed power is really, you know, is really deceptive. You have to sort of speak to uh, to more general points. Again, I, I think some of this. I, I feel like the statute of limitations has lapsed. I think one of the one of the few times I really got upset at this uh, at this job was when Federer was passed over, you know, almost ten years ago in favor of Dwayne Wade. Mm. Um, and I always kick myself for not mounting uh, a stronger case uh, then. So I, I wanted to be sure. I uh, I was a vigorous advocate for tennis and Serena in, in 2015. Yeah, and, and that's actually one of the questions that, that we had, which is that, you know, there are players, like we said, you know, whether it was Djokovic this year or Federer back in 06, or even Serena a couple of years ago with the incredible season she had, um, that where, you know, this season may not, obviously three majors is massive, but, you know, there are other seasons that were pretty epic as well that were in tennis, and they've been passed over and, and uh, didn't get much play. So, you know, how hard is it, because tennis has been, historically such a, a big part of sports illustrated in the past like in, in the magazine and stuff a lot of the the history of the sport and everything was covered by si at least stateside and it set the tone for it so how difficult is it like these days in the modern sports era uh to kind of get tennis to, to to get that seat at the table and, and to cut through and convince people that it's a sport that you know where the accomplishments are just as ma- massive as as any other you know top four sport in the states it's a challenge. I mean, there were, you know, Ronda Rousey was a candidate before she she lost in November. Um, yeah. You have you have different sports. I think this this award is seen much more broadly. You know, you know, Pat Summit and Coach K won a few years ago. Um, I think part of it is just the expansive definition of sports. We're now calling it sports person. I'll have you know. That's to further stick it to the horse. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you just yeah, exactly. I just slam the door in the horse's face. For for eternity in perpetuity, yeah. it's done. <laughs> a- animals are uh, tough tough to make the case for an animal, I think. But no, um, no corgis. No, on the I mean Sports Illustrated. Yeah, exactly. But we we've had them before. Um, <laughs> That's true. I you know I mean you guys you guys know this as well as anyone. I mean ten- tennis can be a tough sell in the U.S. as the sport has you know thriving as it might be globally as the sport has lost a little juice here in the United States. That probably is reflected in, in how hard it is to make a case. I mean, if Djokovic, if this were the early 80s and Djokovic had put together that year, the advocacy for him would probably have been a bit more vigorous. T- tennis is a, um, you know, tennis isn't always such an easy sell. And again, I, I think part of this was about 53 and three and number one goal line to goal line and three majors and doing it at age 33 and 34. But I think in Serena's case, a lot of what put this over the top were storylines like Indian Wells or in, in the piece that Scott Scott Price wrote that's just a as much as we've read about Serena I, I defy you to read this piece and not come up with a dozen new dimensions to Serena that you haven't heard before it's really that as much as what she did you know in, in best of three matches that that got her this award and John what do you think drove 
Serena this year. I mean, you know, she always sits there in press conferences and she says, you know, I have nothing to prove, which she's absolutely right. You know, I'm just out here playing for fun, you know, things like this to kind of diffuse the pressure and things like that. But but when things were tight, she, we didn't see her fall away. We didn't see her pack it in. We didn't see her feel sorry for herself for extended amounts of time to where she checked out of a match. And I'm just kind of curious from your perspective of covering for her for so long, like, what is that change? I mean, what what drove her this year? Was it the quest for history? Quest for greatness? I, I think history matters a lot more. I mean, remember, this is a player who used to take pride in not knowing much about history and not knowing much about her opponents. And, you know, you, you guys know this as well. I mean, there are all sorts of stories about how she, <laughs> you know, wouldn't know if her opponent was left-handed or right-handed. And now she is this consummate professional. And I think, I think something that, remember the Chris Everett letter yeah. yeah, maybe yeah. in I don't know when was that? Maybe 2009, 2010. And yeah. Chris Everett basically said, "Before it's too late, you know, God bless you for your outside interests. We commend you on having this breath of interest, but you should recognize this is something you do better than anyone else on the planet." And Chris Everett got a lot of heat for that, and it, it seemed, uh, you know, it seemed like fairly controversial at the time. And in retrospect that kind of nailed it. And I think Serena came to this realization that it's great that I have these interests and I can, I can act and I have interest in fashion and, um, and music and, and so many other areas. But at the end of the day, this is my most prominent skill. Yeah. And before it's too late, I mean, the tennis, Serena really has turned into kind of a tennis geek. And you ask her about Flavia Panetta's results and she can tick off her various U.S. Open semifinal appearances. And you talk to her about strings and conditioning, and she will have that dialogue. And I think that in her 30s, she's recognized that this is what I do best. And she, she, kind, of, she kind of fell in love with the sport, I think. Yeah. John, you mentioned Ronda Rousey, who I know you've covered as well this year. And you mentioned sort of how when she lost uh, to Holly Holm, that it was a bit sort of took her out of the running. And I'm wondering if there was ever a sense that Serena's loss to Vinci might ever be disqualifying for this award. Because that, that was such a loud thud on such, with such a huge spotlight on what she was trying to achieve. If that was something, if it was how much that was debated as a possible reason for her not to get this or, or what that loss says about her still winning this, this award this year. I, I think that if, if Serena had pulled off this grand slam, right? She, she got whatever it was, 26, 28th of the way there. Mm-hmm. If she had, if she had won all four majors, then not even a conversation. I mean, then there's no objection. There's, there's no conversation to be had really. I, I think that the fact that not only did she, not only did she lose that match to Vinci, but that was the last match she played this year. So the fact that she ended the year with this sort of sour afternoon was a challenge. You know, it wasn't fatal, but that was, that was a, mark against her. I think that, and you guys know this, uh, you know, there's mandatory media after these matches mm-hmm. and Serena loses this match. She's had all sorts of pressure. It's just a lousy day at the office, despite all her protesting that she wasn't feeling pressure and wasn't chasing history. We all know at the end of the day that that was just that the moment got to her. She has this press conference that was, she it's mandatory. She's forced to do it. She goes in there and sort of, you know, understandably upset, mutters a few words. And I think the combination of that loss and that sort of somber press conference mm. was, was a challenge. Mm. Um, I, I think, I mean, I always say if she, if she'd lost to the Australian open and won the next three slams, 
still finishes the year 53 and three, still wins three majors, but the timing is different. Then I think, um, you know, we look at her year a lot differently, but I I think, you know, look, it it was disappointing. All of us that were there sort of cringed. It it was, it wasn't as, I mean, she played at a fraction of her best tennis, but that, that shouldn't disqualify her year. You mentioned doing the other order, and I guess Novak Djokovic won three in a different order and won a lot more total titles than Serena and kept playing till the end of the year. You know, Against winning. arguably stiffer competition. Yeah, probably. He didn't get Relatively. some of the broken draws that, that Serena wound up getting, especially you know the French and other places. Could Djokovic have won? How seriously was Djokovic in contention for this? And I guess how much of a knock in his column to the extent that this is a factor in, in, at these table discussions is the fact that he's not American. We haven't seen that many non-Americans, or at least people who don't compete in a North American league, uh, winning this award. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that wouldn't have been the the factor, that, he, that he's not American. Um, again, I mean, it's unimpeachable year, and certainly on, on paper, a year comparable in tennis terms anyway to Serena's. I think you raise a good point that he's doing this against, you know, he, he's, he's playing uh, at the same time as two guys who've won double-digit majors. Yeah. Terrific year from Djokovic. I, I do think that, um, I mean, again, from from race to body image to, to gender, Serena's dealing with other factors that maybe Djokovic isn't. But yeah. good good year for tennis. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, honestly, if, if I had to vote, I'm sort of un- unambiguously, I'm, Serena was my choice, but Djokovic would have been, num- been number two for sure. Yeah, I think there's always going to be that issue of kind of like, you know, Novak does this thing or even Roger does what he does back in 06. And then the question becomes for SI sports person. Yeah, but did they transcend the sport? Did they somehow make it bigger than just about their accomplishments or whatever? I think, you know, with that competition between Serena and Novak, you know, Serena carried the sport on her back, at least the women's side during a particularly, you know, up and down year for the rest of the tour. So I don't know, that would be the argument there, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, the, part of this, again, it's so funny because this always redounds to these greatest of all time discussions to me. And you say, you know, well, Chris, Chris Everett doesn't get it because X, Y, Z and Martin. I mean, it's you, you hate to sort of right. uh, pick apart Djokovic's year or his personality. I mean, absolutely unimpeachable. I mean, the Djokovic, all the right moves, three majors, number of you know, terrific year. Um, to, to me, it's much more about Serena than any sort of deficiencies for, for Djokovic, but um, I, I don't I mean, I'm curious what you guys think. I feel like I'm not violating any great industrial uh, secrets here. At some point I'd considered, well, what if I put, put forth a candidacy of co his and hers tennis winners and done sort of a co thing it would have been like the Wimbledon ball all over again yeah. with uh, <laughs> Djokovic and uh, Serena. And it, it occurred to me that was sort of a, a cop out and you, you kind of have to, take a candidate and get behind them. But it, it had crossed my mind of making this year of tennis. Yeah, if there was Thoughts? any year where it would make sense, it would have been this year just because Novak's year was so good. Um, but the flip side of that is, you know, ben, before uh, you hopped on, Ben and I were talking about Serena's year and Ben kind of mentioned, you know, in a lot of ways, this is kind of a lifetime achievement award sort of thing of just kind of a, and and I think that that was in a lot of ways, the theme of this year for her that because we kind of not assumed because we know how difficult it can be, but you kind of thought that 
you know, she has a really good chance of completing this uh, Grand Slam after she won Wimbledon and that New York would be this coronation, right? This basically this Serena parade of like, look at how great this athlete is, this once in a lifetime athlete. That, that's that been the theme of things. So I, I personally think it's great that, that there's only one. And yeah, it, it, it would have diluted uh, a lot of things for both players, I think, if, if, uh, if they split it. But that's just my take. I feel like part of what made this this day in New York, um, you know, that that Friday of the U.S. Open semifinals, um, so sort of, I, I guess, sad is the word I would use, is that everybody was squarely for Serena, as whatever your word we want to use, polarizing, whatever it is. I, I feel like just the same way Serena has discovered tennis, like the casual sports sports fan discovered Serena. There was no ambivalence. There was no ambiguity. I mean, everybody wanted her to win. Everybody had this, you know, we're witnessing history. There was a sort of unconditional love and support for her finally. And here she was, she was coming to New York, you know, at her home slam, the one she first won in 99. I mean, it all sort of lined up so well. And there was no, when she lost, I don't think there was much in the way of shot. I mean, sure. On sort of zany, tennis world but to the casual sports fan there was no schadenfreude there was no like rooting for the upset everybody wanted her to pull this off like everybody has finally gotten hip to how <laughs> exceptional serena williams is yeah and in a way it's heartening that it happened now and not before she were you know sampras always said like i'd get these uh, you know i'd get this applause at my retirement ceremony and i'm thinking where was this when it was the u.s open final in this case everyone got sort of hip to serena before it was too late and to see her come so close and yet fail to uh, fail to pull off the U.S. Open was, was sort of heartbreaking in its way. I guess, yeah. I guess one last question for you, John, is you obviously, your your career timeline has coincided pretty squarely, I think, in, in tennis with Serena's. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the first year you were covering tennis. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, like to the month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> so uh, just wondering how central uh, and complicated a figure is Serena doing the mailbags every week and getting to hearing, having your, your voice and your inbox exposed to the people. You must've heard so much, a massive range of opinions. I don't think tennis has had a, an athlete. Well, I would say a McEnroe in tennis, but besides that, uh, as polarizing as Serena, I think she's one of the most divisive and, and creates emotion in people like few others in, in sports. Just wondering how central a figure she's been over the top, over your career and how you've seen her evolve and how, you know, her place in the sport that you cover has, has shifted and how you've each grown in your understanding of whatever in a sense uh, in that in these couple decades. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, it, it made this exercise a little fraught, to be honest. I mean, I sort of had to divorce myself and it, it for reasons of conflicts of interest and sort of it's just I, I was a little too close to this one. So I actually kind of took a back seat. I made my feelings known, but did not. Uh, get involved as much as I might otherwise just Come on, kind of given John, relationships of interest, it's what tennis is about that's what tennis is, that's that's uh, <laughs> one of the building blocks of, of our sport um, right. of these sports um, no but it was really a weird thing I mean you're right this is someone who's kind of your career you've paralleled and your relationship ebbs and flows and sometimes it's been better than others and I, I just I felt a, really kind of awkward and a little I, I made my feelings known internally but I, I didn't really want to particularly get involved in this just given how close I am. I think that, you know, Serena through the years has triggered all sorts of emotions. And some of this is within tennis. And some of this is just the casual sports fan. She has evolved. We have evolved. I feel a little like it's like, um, 
Oh, I don't know. It's almost it's like a Hollywood actor or actress where sometimes they do really good work and we love them. And other times, you know, Kevin Spacey makes Academy <laughs> Award winning movies and then movies that are lousy. And you're not hypocritical if sometimes you love Kevin Spacey and other times he disappoints you. I mean, we're we're all sort of evolving and we're not, we're not fixed in our ways. And there were times when Serena was the most admirable athlete you could imagine. And there were other times when she was less than admirable. And I think that having conflicted feelings or feeling differently about her from year to year or writing about her differently from year to year did not show hypocrisy. I think it showed that you were responding to a person that was evolving. And I think, again, to get to this point now, I mean, I think literally the first major I, I wrote about for Sports Illustrated was the 99 U.S. Open, check me on that, oh. that, that hmm. she won as a teenager. So, yeah, my, I mean, completely, when I started covering tennis, it completely mirrored the arc of, of her career. And to see her now at this stage, at this sort of point of development, at this, as I've, you know, she's the greatest ever as far as I'm concerned. I, I think people have come to that position. Um, I, I think now it's pretty hard to make a case otherwise. It, it's been it's been wild to sort of be, I don't want to say be part of this, but to sort of have my career covering tennis coincide with this and see everything from the loss of siblings to personal issues to you know, lying and fabricating with Justine Hennon and yeah. Capriati and, and the conflicts with Venus that I, you know, the, the awkwardness of playing your sister and the 2009 U S open and the 2011 U S open. I mean, I've sort of been there the whole time and to see, to get to this point where she is widely, if not universally well-regarded, she's going to go down as the greatest ever. She's evolved. We've evolved. And this is for as many disappointments and for as many sort of unhappy stories as tennis can furnish this one to me is one of the great triumphs for the sport both both for serena and for sort of the tennis public awesome well it was a great triumph to have you on here with us thank you very much john and give a plug to your show as well beyond the baseline you're now officially like i think the king of all tennis media at this point with the podcast tv the mailbag How, how, how are you liking getting in the podcast game more regularly now what do you guys think? I mean, it's 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 a different <laughs> exercise. It, yeah. It's the it's the yeah. cliche, like not as easy as it might seem, but kind of a fun way to spend half an hour, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, for sure. And and you you've obviously had a lot more. You've got a lot of great guests on there. Mary Carillo was on there. I think it was the last episode I heard. I will have you know, John, that you stole Carillo from under my nose. I was all set to shoot her an email the day that your episode came out to talk to her for the WTA podcast. And I was like, no! She's hooked on this. She's hooked on these now. Go uh, go get her. (laughs) I will eventually, but I I got to let it it die a little bit because you got the exclusive. There's a a a reload period here. (laughs) Exactly. No exclusives. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, it's strange to have this conversation because I've been doing these interviews today with like, you know, if, if you're tennis wonks and tennis geeks like we are, you sort of understand the, the significance and you have feelings about Serena that the guy from Chicago Morning Radio might not. Right. But um, I'm, I'm, I mean, honestly, it sounds, this sounds terribly tacky, but t- t- for as much as tennis gets kicked around, I'm, uh, I'm happy for this. Good day for the sport. As, as are we. Thank you very much, John, for being with us and for doing your part to campaign for Serena, I guess, and getting a, a win for tennis here. And uh, we'll, we'll see you in Australia. Very good. See you guys in Melbourne. Bye. See you, John. So thank you very much, John. And thank you guys for joining us for this emergency, happy emergency episode, I feel like. We don't usually have emergencies that are outright 
all positive, but this one definitely qualifies as that. That's such a good point. Yeah, this one this one doesn't feel like panicked or um, sad or confusing. This is actually like a emergency podcast to discuss a thing that should have happened and did. And so with that, we're pretty happy uh, to bring you that. Uh, thank you guys, as always, for joining us. If you want to follow along with us and you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Facebook, liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and any other RSS feed or podcast app. And we now have all of a lot of our archives available going back over 100 episodes. So if you want to binge listen to past episodes from our vault, they are there for you now. And we're doing our Olympic episode later in the week. Uh, so if or later, very soon coming up this weekend. I was going right? to say, later in the week, probably within the next 12 hours. Yeah, pretty soon, pretty soon. So we're going to have a, a pretty cool guest in that, uh, someone from the podium in London. So that should be cool. Uh, send us your questions for that uh, to nochallengesremaining at gmail.com on email, or you can tweet them to more questions would be always appreciated for that. And also, first and foremost, thank you guys so much for this awesome first six, five, six days we've had on our Kickstarter. It's really blown us away. Um, as of recording this i think we are up around seventy eight hundred dollars which is more than double our goal we passed our goal within the first 24 way less than 24 hours actually got to five thousand within 24 hours it's been very very cool very very humbling and, and pretty exciting about all the opportunities this gives us for 2016 a lot more things are on the table now than they were before most definitely yeah no i mean ben and i were talking about it last week after uh, we met our, our funding goal and saw that, you know, we were going to probably be able to get a little bit more, a lot more than our initial funding goal. And some of the ideas that we were just kind of spitballing, just throwing out there, we haven't run the numbers as to whether they're possible. But the fact that we even think that they might possibly be in the realm of possibility, that speaks volumes. And that's because of you guys. And um, I just have to say, again, like I said in the last episode, like, you know, there were always going to be these options of, of finding you know, funding from, you know, advertisers or sponsors or things like that. And Ben knows this. I was always very, very, very much against that. Um, I wanted to be, if I was going to be funded by somebody, I wanted it to be by you guys, by our fans, by people who listen, people who care, the people who want independence, I guess, um, from, from, from us. So you guys have absolutely responded. It's been amazing. And we are so stoked. And one of the things, too, that I wanted to point out with Kickstarter is that Obviously, the, the money amount is great and all, and it's easy to brag about that. But I would love to see the backer numbers yeah. like when this Kickstarter is done. Like right now, we're at 190 backers as of recording this with 35 days to go. And it would just be amazing to get just, I don't know, like 250 backers. Maybe if we could hit 300, it would be great. It would just be a way because for me being the idealistic asshole that I am sometimes, <laughs> like I just really want to be able to point to our Kickstarter and use it as an example to other tennis media and other tennis content people and say, look, there is a market for this. There is a market for something different, for better content that people don't want the stuff that is just the easy, low-hanging fruit type reporting and writing that tennis can be sometimes. And these people will respond if you create something that, that gets them excited. And so to the extent that we can show them money numbers, to the extent that we can show them number of backers, like people who have put their money where their mouths are, and want to back us, I think that's massive. And I think that, that people are absolutely paying attention to what's going on with, with the NCR Kickstarter, which is so weird. But some of the emails that I've gotten from people, people in the industry, and they're looking and they're saying, wow, this is something that we did not realize people would want or, you know, and, and that's awesome. And that's from you guys. 
That's very cool. And I should, we should also mention that, Courtney, you especially have been doing a lot of posting to our Kickstarter page. Uh, things will be going up. We'll keep going up through our campaign and probably after it wraps. It wraps on the first day of the Australian Open. That can have people following along and giving updates and stuff. And so even if you give any amount, I think even like $1 would qualify you to get on our to see all those things that are for backers only, exactly. quote unquote. So if you guys want in on that, but don't obviously we understand that people money tight, whatever. We're not asking for much or anything. But if you if you do want to be part of that community and get on those lists for for the rest of uh, however long this goes on, that's that's one way to do it. Just want to explain what's behind the door. I know people have clicked <laughs> exactly. on it like this says it's for backers only. Is that right? And it's like yes, that is yeah, the idea I for mean, that post. So. As I've kind of explained to Ben, is that like what I was thinking was that because you can make that option for the updates to be backers only of almost treating the NCR Kickstarter. A page as almost like a blog so it's not just going to be actually updates about the campaign at least for me but it can be even random things like i don't know like my top 10 movies of the year my favorite actually coming your podcast episodes exactly coming soon that is actually my next one because i actually sat the other night and did this is i will put down my the the 10 or 12 best podcast episodes of the year, not just podcasts, but actual specific episodes to help get you guys excited about podcasts as a medium, the things that just blew me away and made me cry and made me laugh out loud and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so just even the minimum amount, just become a backer and you can see all that stuff. And also there's contests, which is, we have one right now. Yeah. What are you giving away, Courtney? I am giving away a brand new and sealed copy of the ATP number one, like commemorative book about uh, the history of the number ones. Yeah, I have this book. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's really nice. I never actually opened mine, so I assume it's nice. It's nice. But I have seen it. because. <laughs> but I have a sealed copy, and I was just kind of looking around my office and saw that there. So right now, there's a contest that's open until 5 p.m. Pacific time on Wednesday of this week, which is uh, if you go to the Kickstarter page, and if you are a backer, and you just submit a comment that is just a suggestion as to what you would like to see on NCR going forward, or even if it's something simple like, hey, you guys are awesome, just keep doing what you're doing, whatever it is, you'll be automatically entered in this drawing. I'll pick a random number. I will correspond it to uh, uh, one of the posts, and um, and the winner will get uh, this ATP book, which I looked online, and it retails for like 30 bucks. But weirdly on Amazon, like it retails for $30. But there are used copies being sold for 80 so I don't know. But anyways, those economics don't So the match. resale market is fine. If you just if you just want to enter this contest to turn a profit, that's that's also... Like if you option. want me to open it uh, and thumb through the pages to make it used and it's now worth $50 more than it would be otherwise, happy to do that for you. These are the things that I'm willing to do as part of the Kickstarter. Uh, so generous of you, Courtney. But thank, oh, that's, but thank, that's what I am. But thank you guys very much for listening and for giving and for keeping listening. We'll be back to you again later this week. Oh, and I should say, we have, we'll have we have a link to the Kickstarter and everything in the description and on Twitter, everywhere, if you're looking for it. Uh, that's all for now. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. I ball hard, no tennis racket. I can see these haters through my Gucci glasses. I make hits like batting practice. What? They be like, Serena, is you really rapping? And that's me. Thanks for listening. Schooling these rappers, they should pay tuition. I make a lot of money, but that ain't your business. And you can tell the people I said this. I win. I really mean it. Swag out this world. You should call me Venus. That's my sister, my name is Serena. On the court, I serve them up, no subpoena. I cook the track up like a frozen pizza. Beat so crazy, it might blow your speakers. I ain't ever been a loser, and I'm always on top, roofer.